Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever taken a picture with a celebrity? Anybody ever taken a picture with a celebrity? You know, we all have like celebrities that we look up to. Maybe, I, I don't know who you're, some musician, actor. For me, I've got two pictures with celebrities. At one point, uh, a couple years ago, I got a picture with the Summer Bay, which is one of those ships from the Deadliest Catch crabbing TV show. And then another time, I got a picture with Matt Chandler, who is the president of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And I should say that when I got a selfie with Matt Chandler, he actually didn't know he was in the picture. I just took a selfie with him in the background. Uh, he still doesn't know I have this picture, and I'm showing it a couple years later. You know, I thought about why do we do this? Why do we take pictures with celebrities? It's because deep within each of us, we have a longing to be connected to some sort of greatness. We want to be connected to something big, something great, something bigger than ourselves. In fact, this is why this past Super Bowl, if you were from Yakima and you listened, everybody had a story about Cooper Cup. Everybody said, oh, Cooper Cup, yeah, I know his grandpa. Oh, yeah, well, I went to the same middle school as him. Well, I, I, I changed his diaper when I babysat for him when he was a baby. Like, everybody had a Cooper Cup story because we all want to be connected to greatness. We have this uh, longing inside of us. But not only do we have this longing for greatness and success, we also have a longing for security, safety. And so we find all sorts of ways to try and guarantee our safety and security. This is why the insurance industry is a trillion-dollar industry in our country. In fact, just so you know, if you're a little bit concerned about your safety, here's some insurance policies that you can actually get. Well, this one probably doesn't do much good nowadays. But in the 1950s, you could get a falling Sputnik insurance. Remember when they sent the Sputnik satellite up? The insurance policy said if that satellite fell on you and killed you, you'd be awarded $200,000 on your behalf. That's a pretty good deal. No doubt there is ghost insurance. This is a policy that will pay you a million dollars if you experience death or disability caused by an evil spirit. And this one, this one I'm going to be a broker of. Alien abduction insurance. No doubt there's actually been claims that have been paid out because of alien abduction insurance. There's nothing wrong with insurance. But why are we willing to pay money for these outrageous, crazy policies? Because, again, one of our longings deep within us is we long for security. We look for something that will remove the sense of, of, of danger from our lives. So we have this longing with inside of us for success and greatness. We have this longing for security. And how, much, how many of us would be in here today to say, those longings with inside me cause anxiety, right? When you think about wanting your life to matter, when you think about wanting your life to be secure and safe, how many of us have stress and anxiety and worry over what tomorrow's going to hold, trying to make our lives matter or trying to make our lives safe and secure? In fact, I'm reading a book right now called They Found the Secret, which is uh, short biographies uh, of Christians whose the hand of God was on their life. And, and the first story they're talking about was, was Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary who founded the Inland China Mission uh, years ago in, in, in China. This is a guy who was responsible for bringing hundreds of missionaries to China to proclaim the gospel. Because of his ministry, uh, 18,000 plus people became Christians in China because of his ministry. 
And it was interesting because I didn't, I've never read this about him. And the story says that, that 15 years into his ministry, he wrote a letter to his mom talking about the intense stress that he was experiencing in his role. In fact, this is what he said. He said, my, my position becomes more and more responsible, and I need greater and greater grace to fill it. He said, I commonly mourn at my inabilities and my limitations. See, in a real sense, just like us, he felt the weight. He felt the anxiety for safety, security, for, for success of his mission. With all these missionaries, he felt the weight of that. This morning, we're continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago called The Story, where we have the chance to look at a number of different Bible stories and, and characters and commands and see how all the stories of the Bible are, are one big story. They're one big story pointing us to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so, as I mentioned last week, when we look in the book of Genesis, the first couple chapters of Genesis, it really sets the stage for the entire Bible. In the story of creation, we see uh, God's intentions for humanity and for the world. God has these intentions for the world. And then Genesis 3, we saw the fall of man, where sin comes in and disrupts God's intentions, brings chaos to humanity and into the world. Last week, we looked at the flood. We saw how the flood was a reminder to us that God is a God of justice as well as a God of love and mercy. And how sin has devastating consequences. And God will judge sin, but because of his great love for us, God offers the righteous, and this doesn't mean the righteous because we're so good and holy, but the righteous, those who by faith believe in Jesus. He offers them salvation through him. And today, we're looking at another story that many of you are probably familiar with, the Tower of Babel. And I'll tell you what, this story has been such an encouragement to me this week. It has been so good for my heart and my soul. Because again, I think that reality is most of us in this room listening online, we, we, we long for security. We long for success. We long to be connected to greatness. And what the story is going to teach us is that those things can be found, but they aren't found through our own strength. They're found simply in abiding in our relationship with God. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 11 today that uh, Kara read for us this morning. And uh, I've got four lessons I want to point out from this text. Uh, number one, humanity longs for security and greatness. Here's how the story starts out in verse 1. It says, the whole earth had one language and had the same words. And the people migrated from the east and they found the plain of the land of Shinar and they settled there. Verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them. And they made brick for stone and bitumen or tar for mortar. In verse 4, they said, let us come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed across the face of the whole earth. Verse 4. What did the people want? There's three things they wanted. The first thing they said, we want a city. We want a city. This is a, a, a place to belong. This is a, a home. This is fulfilling their longing for security and safety. They want a place that feels comfortable. Number two, they wanted a tower that reached up to the heavens. This represents our desire for something great. We want to do something in our lives that matter. We want to leave some sort of legacy that our lives mattered. Number three, they wanted to, to make a name for themselves. They wanted greatness. 
They wanted to be praised. They wanted to be recognized. Now, here's the thing. When we see what these guys wanted, three times before this in the book of Genesis, three times God has told humanity to be fruitful and multiply over all the earth. Because this is what God does. God always pushes us outward. God calls us to, to multiply his kingdom throughout our city, throughout our country, throughout our, our world. This is what God calls us to do. But here's the thing. Multiplying, when you are outward focused, when you are, 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 are trying to grow things, you lose a little bit of control. You lose any sense of control and security. Multiplying is risky. It's hard work. And as we have this longing for security, it's easy for us to say, God, forget what you want us to do. Instead, I'm going to build a city, a place that I can feel safe and secure, and I can plant my roots and feel like I can call home. And then we see they wanted to build a tower. What's the significance of the tower? Well, the tower would have been a monument. It would have been something that was large. It would have been lasting. It would have been a legacy for them. Because these people, they wanted to show their greatness. They, they wanted to have a, a, a legacy. And again, we think about the longings of the human heart. We want to matter. We want to make an impact. We want to be remembered. Which is why you can look at buildings. They're often named after a person. Because we want to be remembered. Here's what's wrong with this. This is huge because this is a glimpse into our own hearts. This story, these people wanting to build the city and the tower and make a name for themselves is a glimpse into our heart because we long for security, because we love security, because we love to be praised. Oftentimes, those loves lead us to sin. They lead us to build cities when God calls us to scatter. Leads us to, to seek the praise of self rather than praising God. In fact, if you've ever wondered, why does sin have such power over me? Why does sin always seem to be present? The answer is probably found in this story. Because we long for security, we long for control, we long to be praised. Second lesson from the Tower of Babel is the root of sin is autonomy from God. The root of sin is us trying to live our life and seeking to satisfy the longings of our heart through my will, through, through my strength, for, for my glory. In fact, here, here's what it said in verse 5. It says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower uh, which the children of men had built. This is actually kind of funny right here. Okay? God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Okay? God, God is, is all-knowing. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He sees the tower. He knows about the city. But here you see this play on words. Because here... The people think their tower is huge. Our tower is amazing. Look how big our tower is. It reaches up to the heavens. And God's like, hey, it's so far from me. I have to come down to see it. Listen, for those of you that have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, this is where it started. Right here. This is the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Verse 6, he continues, and The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they purpose will be impossible for them. See, God's looking down, and he sees humanity. They've built this tower. They think they're great. He looks down and sees humanity, and he says, this is only the beginning. These people have such a confidence in themselves. They've ignored me, and because they've done that, this is a source of 
every form of evil. This is a source of it because this is a, a, a declaration of autonomy from God. Saying, God, we don't need you. We don't need to follow you. We can do things on our own, through our own strength, through our own will. Again, here we have this longing of the heart for security and significance and greatness. And these things aren't wrong in themselves. They're not wrong in themselves. But here's the thing. Those things are supposed to come from God. They're supposed to be things that we, we, we rely and trust on God for, not something that we try and create on our own. See, Genesis 11 says that the heart of sin, the heart of every corruption and wickedness is when we are trying to do it for ourselves in our own way, by our own strength, for our own glory. The heart of sin is, God, this is my will, not your will be done. And here's the reality. Sin doesn't always have a specific action. The tower in itself is not evil. Tower, it's just a tower. It's not evil. But it's the heart behind the tower to make themselves great that is the problem. This is why God says this tower will become a source of immeasurable amount of sin because it represents the heart behind it. The heart behind it is, hey, look, we can do something great. We can make ourselves great. And God is saying, listen, if that's the heart behind it, man, that is a source of all kinds of evil throughout the world. And look what happens because of this. Verse 7. It says, God said, let us come down and confuse their language so they do not understand one another's speech. This is where they're starting to build and trying to finish a tower. And they're like, hey, I need another brick. It brings them a tuna fish or whatever happens. They can't understand one another. Listen, have you ever felt stuck in your life? just going through and you're, you're working hard, you're, you're trying to make things happen, but you just experience disappointment. Disappointment in your job, disappointment in your parenting, disappointment in your marriage, disappointment in life, disappointment in your retirement. Listen, this might be a little bit simplistic here, but what if God is confusing your language? What if God is frustrating your plans so that you would focus on him and focus on his will instead of focusing on you and your will. What if God's trying to confuse your language? See, number three this morning, this story teaches us that sin leaves us with towers of disappointment in our lives. Because in fact, I want you to notice this. Notice that God does not tear the tower down. It said in verse 8, the Lord dispersed them from there over all the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. He leaves the tower there rotting. Why does he do that? See, I think that broken tower is not God's judgment. I don't think God is judging humanity. I think he is giving them mercy. I think he's trying to help them grasp. Listen, sin leaves to habit. Before you go full down on that path towards sin, towards autonomy from God, to doing things in your own strength, he wants to frustrate their plans so they will turn back to him. And that, that, that rotting tower becomes a monument to the people of God. You see, monuments are kind of a thing in the Bible. In fact, when you look at God's people taking over the promised land, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 4, God has led, the, God has led his people across the, the Jordan River. And they get across the Jordan River, and what do they do? They gather these stones and they put these stones together, and they build a monument. And they say, this monument is a reminder to all the future people. When they ask why that's there, we'll tell them what God has done for us. A monument to point them back to what, who God is. 
Uh, then in, in Joshua, the end, of, uh, the end of Joshua 22, part of the people, they lived on one side of the river. And so they built an altar there. They built an altar, and they said, this altar is going to be a monument to people on both sides of the river to remind us we worship the same God. We're the same people. We belong together. Monuments are a thing. And I think these rotting towers become a monument. They become a message as a reminder. Remember when we tried to be great apart from God? Remember when we tried to be so cool and and to make ourselves known? And all we have left to show is this rotting tower that's good for nothing. I think that tower became a monument and a reminder to them to live for God, to live according to his will and in his strength rather than living according to our own will and our own strength. In fact, let me ask you this this morning. What are the broken towers in your life? Where have you experienced brokenness and disappointment? Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's an addiction that you've struggled through. Maybe it's some sort of humiliation that you carry with yourself. Maybe it was a lost job that you got fired from. Listen, what if those disappointments, what if those broken towers in your life are simply there as monuments with a message to remind you to to return to the love of God, to live for the kingdom of God and not for yourself? Because some of us can look back at our lives and think, man, I've got broken towers here and here and here. And I think that's the mercy of God saying this is what happens when you try to live for yourself, for your glory. And I'm leaving these things to remind you to live for me, to live for my kingdom. Lessons from the Tower of Babel. Number one, humanity longs for security and greatness. Number two, the root of sin is autonomy from God. Number three, sin leaves towers of disappointment in our lives. And number four, God is building a better tower than Jesus. Verse 9. It says, therefore, he named the tower Babel, which actually means confusion. Because there the Lord confused the language over all the earth. The Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. That's the end of the story of Babel. But I want you to hear how the next chapter starts. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who curse you. No, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And you, all the families on the earth, will be blessed. See, Genesis 11 is kind of a fulcrum. It's kind of a fulcrum in the Bible. Where Genesis 11, you've got humanity trying to build a tower to make ourselves great, to to show how great we are, to show our strength in our own. And we completely failed. We completely failed to do that. But in Genesis chapter 12, God starts building a new tower, pointing to Jesus. I mean, he tells Abram, Abram, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a home. I'm going to give you a country. Remember, what were we longing for? Security. And God just said, Abram, I'm going to give you the security you long for. He said, I'm going to give you significance. 
Abram, you're going to have a role in blessing the entire world. And this significance is greater than any tower. I'm going to give this to you. You don't have to earn it. I'm going to give it to you. He said, Abram, I'm going to make your name great, not because of what you do, but because of what I do through you. In fact, listen to this. Again, the Tower of Babel, we gather together because we're amazing. We're going to make something great. And God confuses our language. That's where we get languages. That's where we get all the different languages. But through the blessing of Abraham to the world, through Jesus, one day he's going to bring all nations and tribes and languages together. Revelation chapter 7 says, Behold, there's a great multitude uh, of every tribe, every nation, every tongue that stood before the throne of the Lamb, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. Every tribe, every nation, God brings them together. God brings them to God does what we can't do in our own strength. See, we are what we are unable to accomplish on our own strength, God accomplishes through Jesus. Like, you know how great that is? That we spend our life trying to accomplish things and, and to give us security and to give us significance and greatness. But God gives us those things through his strength, not our own. We can't live a perfect life, no matter how hard we try. But guess what? God does that for us in Jesus. We can't pay the penalty for our sin and yet still live. But guess what? God does that for us in Jesus. We can't resurrect ourselves from the grave. But guess what? God rose Jesus from the grave in our place. And he walks out of the grave conquering sin and Satan and death and hell. Isn't that good news? What we can't accomplish on our own... God has accomplished for us. In fact, this would be the, the summary of this message. Here's what I'd want you to grasp. Is that security, security and significance and greatness, the things we long for, they come from simply us abiding in God and seeking His will and not our own. Those deep longings of our heart, they're secured for us, not because of what we accomplish, not because of how great we are, but simply in us abiding in Christ, of developing that relationship with him by faith. We want to be, we want those things. We want to be safe. We want a place to belong. We want to have a home. We want to have beauty and significance. We want to be connected to greatness. All of these are yours in God. In fact, I want to do something a little different today. I want, I want you, I want you to, to listen to Psalm 139. I want you to listen to the words of David. This is such a, a beautiful passage of Scripture. Here's what David says. Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. Verse 3, you observe all my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. Verse 5, you encircle me. You've placed your hand on me. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
I could go to heaven, and you are there. If I made my, my bed in Sheol, in hell, God, you are there. If I fly on the wings of dawn and settle on the western horizon, you are ever there. Your hand will continue to lead me. Your right hand will hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will cover me. The light will cover me at night. Verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. And night shines like day because darkness and light are alike to you. Verse 13, God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous. I know this well. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. All of my days are written in your book and planned before I ever began. You want to know. You want to be known. You want to be valued. You want to be approved of. You know what Psalm 139 says? You are in God. You are in God. And it is richer and deeper and lasts longer than the love of any person on this earth. God doesn't stop thinking about you. That's what Psalm 139 says. You're trying to make your life matter? Guess what? You matter to him. You're you're longing for security and striving for security. Guess what? That security, that safety is found in his promises. You have this fullness that you're longing for in all your pursuits, this satisfaction in life. Guess what? It's experienced in his presence. That is where it's found. Do you know how much God thinks about you? Do you know how often God is thinking about you? That's what he just said. He said, he saw us in our womb. Before our mother knew we were pregnant, God God saw us. God knew us. He, He put us there. He had plans for us from the moment we were conceived. God had plans for us. He planned out every one of our days. Every single day was planned out by God. He has his angels that watch over us on the good times and the bad times. When it feels like the darkness is surrounding us, because God has plans for us, because he's, he's, he's sovereign and he knows all things, because he's planned out our days, even though that darkness feels so dark to us, for him it's like light, it's like day, because he knows he has plans for us if we lean into him. Not a single hair in our head falls off without him knowing. He's known a lot of my hair falling off recently. It's just the way it is. Like, do you know how much God knows about you? I mean, I thought about this. I thought about, we've got five kids. My wife, she'd come up to me and be like, hey, did you notice this on, on, on Oliver? Did you notice he has a new freckle on his back left shoulder? And I'm like, which kid? Is that one of ours? Like, which kid is that? Listen, God knows you better and watches you more closely than the most attentive and love-stricken mother. Do you know how crazy that is? When we make our bed in hell, when we cause chaos all around us, God doesn't leave us there. He came and conquered sin and Satan and death and hell, so we don't have to suffer through it. When we show no interest to him, 
When we outright rejected him, when, he's, when we said, God, I don't care about your will. I'm going to build a city anyways. I'm going to do my own thing. He kept thinking about us. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He willingly endured our shame. He willingly paid our punishment to buy us back from Satan and sin and death and hell. Can you imagine how much God loves you? How much he thinks about you? How often he thinks about you? Look at Psalm 139. He doesn't stop. No wonder David said in verse, Psalm 139, verse 17, he said, how precious are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I counted them all, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. I love that. When I wake up, man, I'm always like this as a dream. I've got a God who loves me, who knows me, who, who, who doesn't leave me in Sheol, who doesn't leave me in the darkness. It almost feels like I'm just going to wake up and I'll pinch myself and it's all gone. But David says, no, I wake up and God is still there. God still feels this way about me. God is still thinking about me. God still won't let me go. It's all true. And here we are, we're wondering, well, how do we experience this? How do we experience his, 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 his uh, security? How do we experience his greatness? Simply, we have to learn the same thing that Hudson Taylor had to learn. Remember, we talked about Hudson Taylor having this anxiety over his longing for success and security. See, shortly after he wrote his mom about that stress, shortly after that he wrote to a friend, and he said, I've got this newfound, incredible rest in my spirit. He said, the stress is gone. I feel free. I feel at confidence. I feel at peace. And I don't know about you, but I read this and I'm like, what happened? I want some of that. I want some of that. I want the freedom. I want the peace. I want the com I want that. And this is what he said, summarizing this in my own words. So. He said, no longer was I striving after faith. No longer was I trying to do it in my own strength. I was simply resting in the faithful one, letting my loving Savior work his will in me rather than striving and struggling. I was simply abiding. That's where that security, that significance, that success, that greatness that we long for is found in us simply abiding in him. Jesus said in John 5, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I abide in him produces much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, to abide in God simply means that we obey him. We observe him. We follow him. We accept him. To abide simply means that we submit to him. We trust him. Not ourselves, not our will, but we submit and surrender and trust him and his will and his plans. And that is where security and significance and greatness are found. In fact, that's our invitation for today. I don't want you to come to church today and think, man, I need to go try harder this week. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. 
No, I don't want you to come here and hear this idea of strive and try harder and fight more and keep going. No, I want you to hear this idea of simply abiding. Simply resting in God. In fact, I think about the story of Mary and Martha. Martha's frazzled. Got to do all this stuff for Jesus. And where's Mary? She's at the foot of Jesus, sitting and abiding. And Scripture says that she enjoyed him, and she chose the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Do you realize that's what God wants from us? Not our striving, not our greatness, not our strength, simply to abide in him to rest in Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him. Which means this week as we go out, as we're trying to figure out how we do our life, it's not you trying harder. It's not you doing more. It's how do you simply rest in Him and trust in Him and abide in Him and let Him work in you and through you. See, James 4 says, if we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. Do you realize that's what we want? Not for us to build towers and say, look how great we are. Simply, we want to draw near to God, so He'll draw near to us, and He'll do all this stuff. He'll do all this stuff, and we're like, wow, look at all that God has done. Not because I'm great, not because I'm special, not because I made it happen, but because simply God did it in me. Yet we spend our life trying to make our name to make ourselves great, to make a name for ourselves. All the while, what we long for, that greatness, that security, that safety, is simply found in us abiding in Him, letting Him work through us. That's my invitation today. It's my invitation for you this week, not to strive, not to fight harder, simply to rest in Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him, to say, God, I'm here. You want me to scatter? I want to build a city. God, I'll scatter. God, you want me to love that person that's hard to love? I don't want to. I want to reject them. I want to cancel them on Facebook. But okay, God, I'll surrender. You want me to give? God, I want to I hoard. I want to I collect. I want to take care of my future. But God, you're calling me to give? Okay, God. I'll surrender and submit. And as we do that, that is when God builds towers through us. So it's like Abram did. 